Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host Sherry from the Dark Side. Today's case comes out of Newark, Delaware. A man named Anthony, who goes by Nino, and his wife Debbie had bought their dream home in an upscale Delaware neighborhood. Life was going really well for these two, until one day that all came to an end. The life they had worked hard to build for themselves would be forever changed. As a trigger warning, this episode contains several instances and talks about sexual assault. This is episode 91, The Case of Debbie Puglisi. This story takes place in 1998. What was going on in the world during this time? We had President Clinton involved in the Monica Lewinsky scandal. There was a breaking new artist named Britney Spears. Microsoft Windows 98 was released and was a game changer for technology. The world's biggest airport opened in Hong Kong. The whale that played in the movie Free Willy was taken to Iceland, where he was released back into the wild. This was the year we all saw those new-looking $20 bills in circulation. And lastly, we were all singing My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion every chance we got. This story happened in Newark, Delaware. I first heard about it when I was watching a program on Discovery Plus back in like 2020. It was called Your Worst Nightmare and Debbie's Case was featured on it and it was a really good program and I urge you to go watch it. It's been on my list of cases to talk about but I'm just now getting around to it. Debbie and Nino Puglisi met at a nightclub back in the early 70s. They were introduced by a mutual friend named Bill Sharp. Debbie and Nino were married in 1973, and they had been married for 25 years at the time of this story in 1998. They had two children, a boy and a girl named Michael and Melissa, who are twins, and they are 19 years old and away at college. Michael attends the University of Delaware, so he was just about 10 minutes away, and Melissa attended college in North Carolina. Debbie and Nino were enjoying their lives as a couple with grown children, and just 10 months ago, they bought their dream home, a house in a neighborhood in Newark called Academy Hills. This is an upscale neighborhood, especially in the 90s when the houses were still new. It was big and spacious and everything that they wanted. Debbie worked as a hospice nurse, and Nino worked as a funeral director. Their occupations stood out to me because Debbie being a hospice nurse, she is with people in their very last moments of their life. She's there with them and, you know, they're transitioning over to the next life. Nino, as a funeral director, is with them during the next step. That just kind of made me feel emotional for some reason. Debbie and Nino attend church. They attended their teenager sports games as they were in high school, and they are learning to adapt to life as a married couple now with no kids in the house. Life is good. 
But on April 20th, 1998, their lives would be forever changed. Debbie is out front working in the rose bushes. She's planting these bushes and is surprised that Nino shows up in the middle of the afternoon since he should be at work. But Nino had come home for a bit because he wanted to take a break. He wanted to grab a snack and just hang out for a bit and then head back to work. Nino is happy to see Debbie working in the garden since she's not much of a garden type person and he gives her a kiss and heads inside. Now, it's very noisy at this time. There is construction going on in the area and machines moving around, so it's not a very peaceful day outside. Besides, there's people cutting their grass and it's just noisy out there. But Debbie is enjoying working on these rose bushes. She tells Nino to make sure she doesn't lose track of time and let her know, you know, when it's getting closer to her having to go to work. She's got to go into work tonight and doesn't want to lose track. But some time passes and Debbie feels like it's nearing four o'clock. Nino must be sleeping. So she finishes up outside and heads in to get cleaned up and call her nursing supervisor to find out her assignment for the night. Debbie walks through her house, heading towards the kitchen sink to wash her hands. She feels something hit her hard on the side of the head. She falls to the ground, writhing in pain, but she is not knocked unconscious. She is aware she is hurt. In the midst of being hit in the head and hitting the ground, Debbie's glasses fall off of her face and they broke on the ground. Now, Debbie is like me. Without my glasses or contacts, I can't see. So everything is very blurry to her. But she can see the figure of a large black man standing over her. Debbie screams for Nino, but he doesn't come. Debbie realizes this is likely a home invasion and the, the guy is probably just going to take her money and her jewelry and leave. She lays there in pain, wondering why Nino hasn't come out yet. At the same time, she doesn't want him to come out because she doesn't want him attacked either. She's yelling for the man to take her money and leave, but he isn't hearing it. Debbie is screaming at the top of her lungs. This is a big house and it was all closed up and there's construction going on outside so no one can hear her. This man begins dragging her down her basement steps. Each step was painful as she's being dragged. She kept thinking, where is Nino and why isn't he coming to rescue me? When they reach the concrete floor in the basement, things are going to get worse. She doesn't have her glasses, but she can see the man standing over her and beginning to take his pants off. She cries out, screaming at the top of her lungs because she knows what's going to happen next. He takes off her pants and rapes her. Afterwards, Debbie lays there in shock over what she has just experienced. She's in pain and she can't see anything without her glasses. She hears footsteps moving away from her and she's feeling relieved that it's over. Hopefully now he'll just take money and leave. But this is far from over. A few minutes later, she hears him come back. The man leans over her and begins tying Debbie's feet and hands up. He grabs a blanket and wraps her up. He picks her up and carries her up the steps and into the front entranceway of the house. He has a knife to her throat and says if she screams, he'll kill her. He carries her out the front door, wrapped up in a blanket, and she can see that he has a car backed up in the yard and the trunk is near the front door. He places her in the trunk and closes it. 
Debbie knows that she's going to have to fight to stay alive. She tried to undo her wrist restraints. She kicks and screams as the car is driving away from her house. She is trying to figure out where this car is going by laying there and feeling the directions that he's turning. She thinks he's heading towards Bear, Delaware, which isn't too far away. They end up only going five miles to this man's house. Debbie feels the car stop, and she hears him get out. She thinks when he opens that trunk, she will escape somehow. But her hopes fade when he opens it, and she realizes that she's inside of a garage. There's nowhere to run. She doesn't have her glasses, and everything is fuzzy. He carries her inside his house and sees that she had been working to untie the restraints on her wrist. So for this, she is going to be punished. He throws her down on a bed and begins raping her again. Afterwards, Debbie tries to reason with him. She is saying whatever she has to say to stay alive. She tries talking to him, but he doesn't give a shit about anything that she has to say. He also appears to be on drugs. He puts better restraints on her, ones that would make sure she is tied up and not able to move. He places a washcloth in her mouth and wraps duct tape around her head so that she would stop screaming. The thought is going through Debbie's mind that not even one hour prior to this, she was working in her garden. She would be getting ready for work soon. Nino came home to make a sandwich. Everything was normal. Debbie is still wondering about Nino back home. Why did he not come out and save her? Why didn't he hear her screaming when she was being raped in her basement? She would soon learn the reason why. The evening arrives, and Debbie's co-workers are wondering why she hasn't shown up to work. Debbie was very punctual. She didn't miss days, and she was never late. So for her not to show up without even notifying anyone is unheard of. These co-workers have good instincts because one of them decides to pay a visit to Debbie's house. They had tried calling and calling, but it was just going to the answering machine. This co-worker of Debbie's, whose name is Shirley, arrives and everything seems okay outside, nothing crazy happening. She knocks on the door and doesn't get an answer. There's a neighbor outside, and this neighbor was a friend of Debbie and Nino's. She asked him if he had seen Debbie recently, since she's not answering the door and she was concerned because Debbie didn't show up for work. The neighbor tells her he saw Debbie in the yard earlier working in the rose bushes. He also says that their side door is always open if you want to go inside. This woman goes into the house and nothing seems disturbed except Debbie's wedding ring is sitting next to the sink, but she likely took it off when she was washing her hands after working in the yard. She sees two empty beer cans sitting on the table. But what really disturbed her was Debbie's glasses were on the ground and smashed. This isn't good. She knows Debbie can't see anything without her glasses. Shirley moves through the house and enters the master bedroom where she is startled to see the body of Nino. Shirley knew immediately that Nino was dead. She calls 911 and the Newcastle County Police and Emergency Medical Services arrive to process the scene. Nino was found to have a gunshot wound to the head and had been deceased for a few hours. All they know is Nino was murdered and Debbie is nowhere to be found. Obviously, this isn't looking good. You true crime fans know what usually is the case. This is leading police to believe that Debbie may be a suspect. 
Maybe she shot her husband and fled, when in reality, Debbie has no idea her husband is even dead. This man takes Debbie into the bathroom. Remember, she's tied up and has a rag in her mouth. He covers her up on the floor and walks out. Debbie is crying and thinking of her husband and two children and how they're probably worried about where she could be. Debbie hears two gunshots and believes that she's being saved. But in reality, the man was just scaring her with the sound of his gun. He comes into the bathroom and removes the rag from her mouth and she begins screaming and he tells her to shut up. He drags her out and into another room in the house and turns the television on. The evening news was playing and tonight's top story is 50-year-old Nino Piglisi was found shot dead in his home and his wife is missing and a person of interest. So it had never dawned on Debbie that Nino could have been killed before she came in the house after working in the garden. This thought never even came into her mind. How could she have not heard the gunshot? Well, remember, the house was closed up and there was construction going on around the house. Debbie is devastated to learn her husband of 25 years was dead, and now she's stuck here with his killer. Debbie is thinking about her two kids who are now learning that their dad is dead and she can't be there for them, and their mom is missing. Debbie is also pissed that she's considered a suspect. Debbie cries and cries because Nino is dead. The man walks over and turns the TV off. He marches Debbie to the bed, making her hop each step because she's tied up. He bends her over on the bed and rapes her again. Debbie is disgusted. She's feeling all kinds of emotions and grieving the loss of Nino. Back at home, Newcastle County detectives are interviewing Debbie's family and friends. Nothing about their theory is making sense, and they begin to realize their theory may be incorrect. They learned Debbie and Nino had a wonderful marriage. They very rarely argued. They both had good jobs, good friends, and there's no affairs going on or anything like that. Debbie has no reason to kill Nino. Plus the fact that Debbie's glasses were on the floor. Everyone said Debbie would not walk a step outside of the home without those glasses. She is blind as a bat without them. Police now know they are dealing with a kidnapping. Debbie hears the man's phone ringing and the answering machine pick up. She hears a woman's voice say, Don, where are you? You didn't show up for work. We need you here. Call me back. So two things. Debbie now knows this man's name is Don. She also knows that he has a job and he missed work. That's all she knows about him. She's in his house, which is only a few miles from her own house, but she doesn't know the area she's in. She's very lost. She's in pain. Both mentally, physically, she's distraught and hoping this will come to an end soon. She knows she's going to die eventually if she doesn't get out of this house, but it's damn near impossible. Don would leave and say he's going to work, but return shortly after to make sure that she had an escape. She's tied up. It's going to be hard. She even pleaded with him, telling him, look, I don't have my glasses. I barely know what you look like. If you let me go, I won't be able to identify you. She also told him, why don't you just put a blindfold on me, put me in your car, drive me out to the middle of nowhere and leave me. You won't get caught. But the man says, no, it's too risky. He also became more humanized during this time. He says he's sorry that he had to shoot her husband. That was never part of the plan. That wasn't supposed to happen. 
So we learned that Don had a bad crack addiction. He had smoked a bunch of crack cocaine and decided to drive through a rich neighborhood. He spotted Debbie outside working in the rose bushes and decided he wanted her. So he parked on a side street and walked into that side door that the neighbor said was always unlocked. He walks through the house and is startled when he sees Nino, who was just coming home to enjoy a break before heading back to work. He shoots Nino. Debbie never heard the gun go off. And then Don sits at their kitchen table and drinks two beers and waits for Debbie to come inside. Later that night, he still has Debbie tied up, but he doesn't put the washcloth in her mouth. He puts her on his king-size bed where she will have to sleep next to him. She is completely repulsed that she has to sleep next to a man who just killed her husband, but she doesn't fight back because she is unable to. Plus, she wants to stay alive. Day number three of being held captive comes along. The man tells Debbie she needs to take a shower. She has been wearing the same clothes for three days, the same clothes that she was gardening in. She has been beaten, raped, and she's urinated in these clothes. He tells her to take a shower and make sure she washes her hair. She tells him she's too weak to raise her hands above her head to wash her hair. So he says he will wash it for her. Debbie is very modest and is being forced to undress in front of this man, plus he's washing her hair for her, which is just disgusting. The whole situation is just completely fucked up. After her shower, he makes her put on his clothes, a huge pair of sweatpants and a t-shirt that is super big on her, and then he rapes her again. Debbie continues to see the news and learns that the police are looking for her since she is believed to be kidnapped. This is good news to hear, but very discouraging when one detective said that they have no leads and this is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. I can't imagine the disappointment Debbie felt when she heard that. This is a top story in Delaware where stuff like this isn't too common. She also learned from the news that Nino's funeral was set to be held in just a few days. This is like a punch in the stomach to her knowing that she won't be there to attend. Don tells Debbie that he believes he committed the perfect crime. He is getting away with it. Debbie's hands are turning real bad. She's a nurse and she can see that they are getting infected. She explains this to her attacker that the infection will cause her to get sick and she won't be of any use to him. He decides to put handcuffs on her instead of the ropes. He bitches that the handcuffs cost him $5 and that she was getting expensive to keep around. These should be no problem to loosen when she needs to. These are $5 handcuffs, but she also knows he isn't going to spend any more money on her. On Friday, April 24th, the man leaves for work. Debbie knows he's missed work a lot this week and likely won't have a job much longer if he doesn't show up. Debbie has her hands tied behind her back and her feet are tied up and she's locked in the bathroom. She waited a bit in case he pulled one of those quick returns like he had before. Finally, she decides now is her chance. She's in survival mode. Debbie was able to unlock the door. She made her way out to the rest of the house, even with her ankles tied together. She doesn't have her glasses, so it's hard to see clearly exactly what's in front of her but she finds a house phone. With her hands behind her back, she managed to pick up the phone and dial 911. She screams to the operator, I'm Debbie Puglisi. I've been kidnapped by a man who killed my husband. 
the operator is somewhat clueless and must not watch the news ever because he has no idea who this woman is. He asks, well, where are you? She screams that she doesn't know. Just get here soon. If he comes home, he's going to kill me. The police are able to trace the call to a house and they make their way there. Debbie is so overcome when they arrive. She's surrounded by several officers and screaming, he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me. They assure her she is safe now and he is not going to hurt her. All the emotions she felt for the last week that she had to suppress to stay alive have all come flooding out. She's crying and screaming and saying she wants her children. Debbie is taken to the hospital where she is treated for 42 injuries and several rapes. She explains everything she has been through for the last few days. In total, she spent 101 hours captive. The police learn who this man is. His name is Donald Flagg and he is 40 years old. Donald's neighbors say he lived alone and was very quiet. Neighbors occasionally saw him cutting his grass, and he would just wave and continue to work. A woman in his neighborhood said she heard a woman screaming coming from the direction of his house just a couple nights before, but she didn't report it because it's normal for this neighborhood that Donald lives in. There's always couples fighting and stuff going on, so she just chalked it up to that. Two detectives make their way to Donald's place of employment, which is the Chrysler plant in Newark, Delaware. They show up and approach him. They ask, do you know why we're here? And he replies, yes. He didn't put up a fight. Instead, he just allowed them to arrest him and he's taken away without incident. Donald gave a full confession. He said he didn't go to Debbie's house with the intent to kill Nino. And he was, in fact, very sorry for doing that. He just wanted Debbie. He was high on crack and saw this woman working in the yard, and that was it. I'm going to take her. Debbie was reunited with her children and her extended family at the hospital. They had Nino's funeral within a couple days of her escape. The police credit Debbie with being the one to solve this case. She fought to stay alive, and her attacker was caught. Debbie was stuck with survivor's guilt. Donald wanted her, not Nino. Nino was killed because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. She was the intended victim, not him. According to an article by the News Journal, Donald Flagg's house, which is on Hampton Court in Wellington Woods, was searched and luminol was used inside. They were looking into maybe him being responsible for other rapes and murders in the area. However, the search of his house remained sealed, so they didn't compromise the rest of the investigation. I can't find anything that shows that any other charges were brought against Donald since 1998. Debbie's attorney read a statement by Debbie in court that said that God and her children are what kept her going through the whole ordeal. She said that she knew she needed to be there and that her work as a parent was not over. There was also a memorial fund set up in Nino's name at, that had the proceeds go to her children so they could continue in college. Friends say Nino was always helping others. If you needed something, Nino was there and they wanted to make sure others did the same for him. In May 1999, Donald was convicted on murder, multiple rapes, and kidnapping. His defense team used the defense that he was schizophrenic and also under the influence of crack cocaine and alcohol, but the jury sided with the state. 
Now, in 1999, Delaware had the death penalty and Donald Flagg did qualify for it, but the jury wanted Donald to stay alive and pay for his crimes that way. He was sentenced to eight consecutive life sentences with no possibility of parole. Now, sometimes judges like to throw in a little something extra unique to the convicted person, and in this case, the judge did just that. For the first 10 years of Donald's prison sentence, every year from April 20th through April 24th, Donald would have to spend in solitary confinement, a testament to the time that he held Debbie captive. Debbie would eventually marry a man named Bill Sharp. Bill was the one who, back in the day, introduced her and Nino. Bill was Debbie's first boyfriend, so she's known him for many years. She said she felt safe around Bill and knew him well. Her life was forever changed from the incident that occurred in 1998. Today, Debbie is living her best life as a public speaker. She often speaks of her ordeal. She has appeared on Oprah and also the Discovery Channel had multiple programs dedicated to Debbie. She appeared on I Survived and Your Worst Nightmare. In one of the episodes, she actually went back to Donald's house where she was held captive with the whole camera crew. She told the Cape Gazette that she felt empowered going room to room and spent a total of six hours in the house. The latest I can find is that Debbie lives in Lewis, Delaware with her husband, Bill. In 2013, she was still working one day a week as a nurse, and her and Bill owned a local tavern, but it has since been sold. Debbie wrote a book about her ordeal, and I urge you to go read it. It's called Shattered, Reclaiming a Life Torn Apart by Violence. I've linked it in my sources, so if you'd like to purchase the book, you can just click on the link. In 2007, one of the most brutal crimes I've ever heard of occurred in the state of Connecticut. You can Google the Cheshire murders if you want to read about it. It was absolutely awful. The very short version is that a man named Dr. William Petit had had his home broken into by two men. They beat him with a baseball bat and then tied him up and raped and killed his wife and daughters. Dr. Petit survived his injuries after he was able to escape. The two men would go to trial and ended up getting sentenced to the death penalty. Well, they eventually had their death sentences vacated and instead would be sentenced to six consecutive life terms. And this was because Connecticut abolished the death penalty. The reason that I'm bringing this up is because Debbie Puglisi had wrote a victim impact statement during the time that Connecticut was entertaining the idea of abolishing the death penalty. This statement is on the Connecticut General Assembly website and was completely written by Debbie herself. In her statement, she discussed how her life has been affected by violent crime. In a small portion of it, she says, quote, by abolishing the death penalty, a message will be sent to all criminals. You can get away with anything. I have seen offenders sentenced to life without parole, only to have their sentences reduced. No one can convince me that my offender will serve all of his remaining years in prison. Where is the justice for victims, survivors, and families of heinous crimes? As I travel across the nation, I meet hundreds of victims who approach me. Many tell me that justice was not served or that the punishment did not match the crime. Victims live in fear, unable to sleep at night, wondering if they will be re-victimized. 
I do not take this subject lightly. When there is no doubt that an intentional act of murder has been committed, especially in the case of Dr. Petit, there should be the option for a jury to consider death as punishment. I will never forget the night my offender turned on the television, forcing me to watch as the news came on. Not only was I considered a suspect in my husband's murder, but I learned that they had no clues of my whereabouts. My rapist laughed and said, I committed the perfect crime. He was thrilled. If I had not escaped, we all know that he would have killed me. His comments during my five days of captivity prove that. End quote. Debbie is a survivor who bravely escaped her captor, and we are all glad she is alive today. Rest in peace to her husband, Nino Puglisi. That's it for this week, and I'll see you all again soon. Take care, and much love to you all.